All right, welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, Scottsdale chiropractor. I'm a sports chiropractor that works with fighters and combat athletes. With me, as always, I have Alex Friedman, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado. The name of the game today is Rotation. We're going to talk about getting into the transverse plane in both rehab and training and why it's so important for not just MMA, not just striking, but all of our combat sports. I think it's important just for human movement in general um, to be able, because that is part of our fundamental, fundamental movement patterns, right? Is some type of rotation. Every time you walk, there's rotation. Every time you run, every time you grapple, there's rotation as a, a fundamental built in movement pattern in our existence. So I think, yeah, but, training- we, but we don't care about normal people. Austin. <laughs> We're talking about combat athletes here, recreational white belts. As soon as you put a white belt on, you can listen to our podcast. Everybody else, get out of here. <laughs> um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say anybody can listen in on our podcast because I don't want to be exclusive. Austin likes to, uh, I don't know, bump our ratings, but I'm here for exclusion. Um, but no, I think. In general, whenever we're training, we should add a rotational component, especially if we're having performance benefits or that's performance on the line. And in combat sports, it's a no-brainer. We are a rotational overhead at times um, sport. That's how we generate power in the sports. That's how we hold strength as anti-rotation in any grappling practice ever, pretty much. Um, But I don't know. If you just think about, let's think about throwing a a cross, rotational power. Like, Mm -hmm. that's it. Period. If we think about, let's think about um, keeping somebody's back, rotational, anti-rotational strength. Mm-hmm. Thing. So it's just it's it's so incorporated into the sport that we're doing, regardless of what sport it is, that it's uh, it's it's nonsense to ignore it in our training. Well, and I know you're going to break down how you train rotation, but I think personally, to me, when people think about rotation, they they throw out all the other aspects of training. They're like, oh, we're going to do rotational training. But then they don't realize that there's rotational power, rotational strength, rotational endurance, anti-rotation, so mm-hmm. resisting rotation. They just they just know that the hot button topic or the, the sexy topic is, oh, we need to rotate more. And then I feel like all of the other knowledge that a high-level strength coach has or sports chiropractor, whoever you like PT, whatever your programming is, it gets thrown out the window because we're training rotation. All of the other aspects of training go away. And that's, that's a big thing that I want to fix personally. And I know you do yeah. as well. Well, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's another component that goes in your program and the same effects, training effects that you're going after the same, uh, modifications in volume, the same undulation, the same um, motor behavior, motor learning that we do in any other movement applies in a rotational setting. So um, I don't know, a common example is if we think about teaching somebody to squat, right? We're going to teach somebody to squat through a fundamental pattern, get them to where they're competent enough before we put a barbell in their hands or before we put a barbell in their back. It's the same thing if we're, we're training rotation, we better have that athlete be aware of where rotation should come from, how it should originate in the body before we put a med ball in their hands and say, rotate. Right. So go ahead, Austin. I was just going to say one that I like that I feel like it's underused is like rotational strength. I have one of my guys, I'm not going to have somebody do a rotational rear foot elevated split squat, which I tend to, I frequently do because it increases your glute activation. I'm not going to have them do that. If they can't just do a, a regular body weight, rotational rear foot, or, or body weight, rear foot elevated split squat, 
That's not yep. going to happen. But just because it's rotation doesn't mean that I can't load up Bryce Logan in a set with a 75 pound goblet and also do a rotational rear foot elevated split squat. That's mm-hmm. not terrible for him. That's not just because there's rotation involved. This doesn't mean it's going to shred the spine. <laughs> That's a myth. Hate right. to break it to you guys. Uh, but like, there's all these different components that you can still train just because we go into rotation doesn't mean that we forget about strength. Yeah. And I don't know, again, common flow, we need to progress rotation. And then once we get to that training level and that training um, ability with your athlete, then we get into the transverse plane and it can be part of your program all the way up. And then maybe we say we need to hit this threshold of strength and get this force output before we start adding the transverse plane, adding the rotation to like a refoot elevated split squat, because it's just smart progression do a rear foot elevated split squat before you do a rear foot elevated split squat with rotation so get your athlete competent in the movement and then add the rotation or if we're talking about like a like a payoff press or an anti-rotational press or something like that get your athlete confident and strong in that and then we can progress that into other type of movements um, that are either more specific or more advanced again everything's on a continuum for me so i'm looking at um, rotation on how competent we are rotation along the force velocity curve along a stability mobility type of continuum so everybody for me is going to start in anti-rotation and work through the core to resist rotation create a strong stable base that way and then we're going to start to add competency actively rotating why is it so important to resist rotation first because then you get a feeling of how to hold position and what i guess your trunk is actually working to do we get if you've got a good competent strength coach on your side or somebody watching you move you can eliminate some compensatory uh, (laughs) patterns or we can eliminate some compensations because if i get somebody if i get i don't know i don't want to hate on you but if i get your typical meathead football player doing a payoff press okay as soon as they punch the band out they're using, I promise you, all chest and deltoids to hold that band straight out there and their sh- shoulders are mostly shrugged up to their ears. So we can eliminate that pattern, bring the shoulder blades down, teach a good posture there, use the actual transverse dominus and obliques in our breathing patterns and layer that in there to create, again, a base. I think isometric strength, which is just the actual working mechanism in a payoff press, that isometric strength gives us the biggest foundation, the most robust type of movement before we start to actively um, train that and actively rotate. And something that I love about anti-rotation as well is like, it's, it is the direct mechanism of force transference as well. If we got to go to the the far performance side, like we've talked about in previous podcasts, it doesn't matter how much force you generate. It's how much force you transmit you punching another object. You don't need to rotate through it. You need to hit it and then make sure that you're as rigid as possible to transmit that force through. To me, that makes a lot more sense that it is anti-rotation as opposed to rotation. That is that force transference. Well, and I think that's, um, that's a, from our anatomical approach to training with the trunk. I think that's one of the key points that we talk about there. Excuse me. Um, that's one of the key points there where we're talking about your core and your trunk works to facilitate and be a conduit for your force output or your power mm-hmm. output, right? So if we're thinking about throwing that cross, it's not that I'm generating a lot of active rotation through my T-spine and through my core. And then that core rotation or 
you know, a Russian sit or whatever is going to create the power. It's that my core gets super rigid and I can utilize the power I'm pushing off of my back foot and my hip and transfer that through the rigid core. Um, does that make sense that we're not originating yeah. Yeah. the power from the core originating the power from our hip and our foot drive. And then we're hopefully strong enough to get that into our hand. Right. Yes. Because I don't know. And that's an easy activity. And I don't know that anybody needs to try it, but if you're standing flat footed, try and throw across with just your core moving. It's not going to be very powerful. <laughs> um, Funny to watch. Yeah, I know. That's, that's what I set people up for. That's what I want. Yeah, exactly. It's about us. So the anti-rotation is the fundamental part. And I go through a little bit of a, a progression there where we're dual kneeling, both knees on the ground. Then we get to a half kneeling position and eventually we're in an athletic stance. And eventually as we get more specific, we're doing footwork with the payoff press. And, and then we can uh, progress from there to enhance this anti-rotation and this kind of solidity in that. But this is happening along with kind of my modalities of actively training the rotation in the, um, in the trunk, in the core. So I'll set an athlete up similarly in that payoff press position, but then instead of just anti-rotation where I press out and hold, I'm going to press out and then actively through my core rotate and turn my whole shoulder and chest towards the outside or rotationally towards the right. So when I rotate there, I'm using my core and I'm finding the rotation through my T-spine, my um, thoracic vertebrae, rather than rotating through my lumbar spine and extending. So creating that stability in the lumbopelvic region is another fundamental that gets taught along with the rotation that we're training. So creating that stability in lumbopelvic, using your rib cage area, your thoracic spine to originate that um, rotation, pulling the band away, come back, reset, etc., And that gives us that foundational rotational movement that we're eventually going to transfer into the med ball training, um, which again, gets stepped up and gets progressed similarly to the bailout press and the active rotation. What's some stuff on the strength side that you like as far as rotational strength and rotational endurance, or do you even do rotational endurance? Is that your anti-rotation? Um, rotational endurance is not something that I think of a whole lot. Um, if I would do anything towards rotational endurance, I would look at, um, I don't know, just riding an echo bike is rotational endurance. You know, there's a lot of rotation that goes on in that. But what I would do is teach an athlete to competently rotate their body. And I, in my head right now, I'm imagining like a single arm row. If we're doing a single arm row, everybody and their mother's foundational rules, don't rotate your back. Don't jerk it like a lawnmower, control your scapula, right? Mm-hmm. When we get past that, we can actually have a free flowing and a moving scapula. And that <laughs> creates this, this thoracic <laughs> rotation that we're talking about. That would be yeah. a... Um, a great addition to your training. So rotation in that movement is not bad, but when we're utilizing it for a lack of strength or we're utilizing that jerky motion for a a lack of competency and movement, that's bad. Um, So we can start to rotate through that type of movement, a a single arm lunge or single arm row, excuse me. I think a lot about rotational lunging. So stepping back into the side, if you're uh, what I easiest way to explain it to athletes is if you're standing on a clock, you're standing at 12, you got to turn your body and step back to 3 PM and then step back on the other side to nine. So rotational lunge is a great uh, unilateral lower body movement, but then we can just start adding in a rotation and anti-rotation through things like farmer carries or suitcase carries. If you're doing them one-handed, um, and we can just bolster our strength up that way, adding it to a roof of a split squat, adding it to a deadlift, adding it to a 
offset deadlift where you're picking up more weight in a kettlebell on one side than the other side. Um, this is all goes under that kind of house of anti-rotation slash rotational training. And then we keep moving our way up the continuum and talk about rotational power and how we train that. Um, do you have anything to say about that, Austin? No, I was, I was actually just going to move into, I have a bone to pick with some coaches um, that they call rotational kettlebell swings, frontal plane kettlebell swings, and they're full of shit. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, so there's a kettlebell swing that you go instead of front to back, you go right to left, left to right, almost like a pendulum arm, if you will. So the weight stays in the frontal plane, but you're moving your body. You're twisting your hips as if you're throwing punches, you're rotating through pivoting your feet and you're rotating one way, rotating the other way. So I would just like to my gripe with a few coaches in my mm-hmm. area that have large Instagram followings uh, are please just call it a transverse plane kettlebell swing or rotational kettlebell swing. That makes all of our lives so much easier when you just pick the right plane of movement. <laughs> I want to go back on you that on that a little bit like that that's all cool and your argument is valid and all but like why do we have to isolate one plane of movement for a, or one plane of yeah one plane of movement for an exercise why can't we utilize some exercises or just understand that athletic movement happens in all three planes simultaneously in kind of this messed up fashion that we call movement right but which one is it more <laughs> Why would you name something for a tertiary response? I knew uh, I knew better than to go back at Austin with his uh, with his arguments. Anyway, if, if you can be right on you're that. Not, you're not invalid, but why would you name something for a tertiary response when there's a primary one sitting right? There? Okay, you can be right on that one. Um, regardless of what you call them, those uh, the kettlebell swings, the transverse swings are a really good exercise, and I just thought of it on the moment a great follow if you're looking for more transverse plane rotational movement um and this guy has a great resource called exploring movement mission explore um vernon griffin griffith on instagram just a fantastic creative mind in rotational movement and just with using the kettlebell using the barbell anything bands um he does a great job kind of exploring movement. And I think his whole thing is hashtag explore the corners where he just opens you up to a wider vocabulary of movement, especially rotationally. And he uses kettlebells quite a bit. So that's why I thought about that one, but um, that's a good follow. And then, so kind of continuing our progression from established anti-rotational base, moving into strength work, actively rotating and uh, resisting rotation we can get into training some rotational power. Um, and there are again, progressions with this. So I'm thinking about starting with just a med ball throw. So we start both knees on the ground, arms extended, rotate back, just like that, uh, active rotational press with the band. We can do that same exact type of movement with the med ball now. So we progress that into a half kneeling variation into a athletic stance variation. And then, and then everybody and their mom likes to get fancy with the footwork and the med balls and the rotational slams. And Fuck, yeah, um, it's like, yeah. that's like half the fun of being a coach. Yeah, I know. Med balls are awesome. <laughs> but, uh, and I mean, Eric Cressy has, uh, very much explored the market on that one and it exposed a lot of better ways to train rotational power through med balls specifically. So um, as we get into that, we can use different progressions to load the hips and throw the med ball against the wall, load the hips, rotate and slam the med ball uh, on the ground. There's actually a post up on our building fighter Instagram page that I go, I don't know, I, I share like six or seven just med ball mm-hmm. exercises for rotational power, just MMA um, power generation in general. So there's a lot of different ways to train that 
specifically with med balls, that's probably one of my favorite, but that kettlebell swing would also kind of go in my bucket as a, a power and a transverse plane type of movement. Um, rotational jumping, I think is something that gets vastly overlooked. Uh, if I'm taking off in a broad jump and I rotate you to 90 or 180 degrees, that's, you know, athletic movement to a T or adding that to our box jumps, just a 90 degree rotation, enhancing that stability because very seldom in sport do we jump straight forward and have to resist that type of um, stress, especially in MMA when we're striking or something. A lot of times when we hit the ground, we're resisting rotation there too. So um, adding those sort of things is I think crucial in your rotational power training. Um, and then I also want to get into something me and Austin were talking about before the podcast when we talk about you know, a stretch shortening cycle or loading up a, a rubber band and stretching it is the easiest way and the best way to create power coming back out the other way. Right. I mean, I think that's strength conditioning 101 or your stretch shortening reflex 101, but same thing works rotationally. Right. So if we're, I, I think everybody's uh, example is like a box jump or a vertical jump counter movement fast, you load the tissue, you make that reaction and come up or like a depth jump. Same thing happens with a med ball. If somebody throws the med ball at you, then you react, catch it and throw. Or if I hop towards the wall, hop back, then I'm loading the tissue and I can throw the med ball rotationally coming out. So think about how we can wind that spring or we can load up the back hip or load up um, into that. Similarly, like we would load up to throw across or that could be bad technique, but anyway, loading up that backside not, to rotate not and come out. Not right. Just you got to know where you're, as long as you're blocked. Um, but, <laughs> and, and this is where we dive into our sling systems, right? So moving into um, Thomas, I almost forgot his name for a second. That'd be real bad. Thomas Myers anatomy trains books. Um, he, he does a, he, obviously there are people before him, but he does a fantastic job explaining the slings. So if you want a good resource on that, Thomas Myers anatomy trains, if you haven't read it yet, highly recommend, but we have like, we know that our fascia binds our muscles to each other, right? We know our contralateral, contralateral lat is connected to our contralateral glute. So left lat, right glute creating that posterior oblique sling. We also have the anterior oblique sling that goes all the way from our pec major minor insertion down to our rec fem on the opposite side. And these slings are what assist us in creating that almost rubber band pullback effect or pulling back the rubber band. So a, a guy that I've learned a lot from Brett Winchester, uh, he used to be the sports performance director and the Cairo for the St. Louis Cardinals works a lot with baseball players and pitchers in general. He's done a lot of work on explaining why pitchers need to activate their anterior oblique sling. And there's different activation drills you do in order to increase your velocities. And Hey, guess what? If you plant that front foot, going into the pitching world, but also applies to throwing a cross, ironically enough, because they're very similar. If you plant that front foot, you want that to be your post and you want to contract every muscle along that sling. So pec major minor going into our rectus abdominis sheath into our internal obliques, moving over the top to that rec fem, and you're pulling from all those muscles to that insertion. That is the rec fem. We need to get out of this idea that muscles operate in different silos and get into this idea that these fascial bundles, these fascial slings are what help generate these force moments or these power moments. So if we're thinking about a cross, I want to plant that front foot. That's why we have that stable front base and everything in my body is rotating over the top of it to then 
generate that power towards the opponent. And then we talk about anti-rotation is what then transmits the power. But if I have a limited ability to stretch that rubber band, so say I can only pull back the rubber band to 60%, that means I only then get 60% power. So it's not just where I'm going with this. It's not just important to learn how to contract all of those muscles at the same time in the same fashion efficiently. It's also important to do the equal and opposite effect in order to increase the availability of pullback of rubber band pullback to then send it forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that just reminded me right there. I was sitting in on a, a presentation and it's probably in 2018 or something by Eric Cressy. And he was talking on this specific on this uh, topic because, you know, baseball pitching is. Did you just compare me to Eric Cressy? Because I'm all excited now. Yeah, there was there was one statement in there that, that struck a chord, um, but don't let. I mean, you're gonna let that go to your head. That's not <laughs> why. Oh, anyway, um, but no, he was pre- presenting on rotational power because that's what baseball pitching is. Um, and one of the interesting observations that he kind of shared with the group is superior pitchers that have you know faster fastballs or created a lot more uh, velocity on their pitches. It's not that they have a ton more hip range of motion. It's not that they have a ton more, um, I guess, strength or power into their hip rotation. They're all uh, moving relatively similarly through the hips and through the rotation. But what changes in their velocity, especially at the highest level, is their ability to plant their front foot and stop, right? So that hitting a brick wall, that hard stop enables you to sling even further and sling faster. Right. So planning that front foot when you're throwing, planning that front foot on a cross, that hard hit and then stop creates like a whip like effect, right? Coming off the top. And that's um, another factor that increases power production in a rotational fashion. Well, and, and a good example of this in MMA is going to be that. Cody Garbrandt knockout from earlier in this year in 2020 when he loads down exactly what he just did there when he when he lands that crazy ass knockout on Rafael Sunsau is he Mm -hmm. loads in keeps his eye on the target but loads all of his tissue so increasing the pliability of the anterior oblique sling Mm -hmm. and then the second part of the equation is the contractability of the anterior oblique sling he activates it all in synchrony his front foot is posted if you watch it everything in his body pivots i've seen it in slow-mo that's the only reason why I know this, I've done research mm-hmm. on it. The entire, everything, the rest of his body pivots over the top and then goes, boop, lights are out right into a sun cell's face. Dude, yeah. And the walk off is just kind of savage, but, yeah. um, but absolutely. And I don't mean to say that uh, the range of motion that Austin was talking about, the ability to pull back on the rubber band. I don't mean to say that that's unimportant because, you know, forever and always the more ro- the more range of motion that you have, the more power that you have potential to create. So creating yeah. that that loading and that range of motion is just as important as that hard stop and that front foot that's posted. Yeah, it's 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 a simple equation of pliability has to equal contractability. If we have a one-to-one ratio on both of those, you're at the highest likelihood for a heavy shot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, last thing I'll kind of touch on on rotational training, um, and then we can get into. I know also wants to talk about um, getting a transverse plane with a bunch of, with rehab and how that's going to affect your different um, return to play programs. But what I want to say is, when I was at the USCPI, we used a landmine throw test, right, and that was part of our uh, strength and power diagnostics and assessments. Um, 
And within our building fighter assessment, we're, we're mix, mimicking that with a med ball throw test. Um, but those load up your transverse plane similarly, and then you explode through your hand, whatever dominant hand that you have, or both sides to throw the landmine almost across the room or into the, the hopefully somebody else's hands. Hopefully you're not just throwing a landmine across the room. Eh, um, depends. But, and again, you can load that up where it'll come back and you can catch it, but we were doing it with only like five kilograms or 10 kilograms, depending on your weight class, but loading that up and punching through that landmine, letting it go, punching through that med ball, letting it go again is as close to optimal with velocity, uh, as close to a loaded movement that I would probably get, um, with my rotational power training. I mean, egg weights are fine and those add a certain degree of resistance, but again, that gets into how close are we to competition and, and things like that. But that landmine rotational punch was, is a, or landmine. Yeah, I guess I'll call it rotational punch is uh, a, a great exercise for power development and transverse plane. Well, and not to spend too much time on this, but we know that, and there's nothing wrong with egg weights. I actually like, I like the product that they have, but we know that we're going to get increased up upstream effects. If we use a bigger grip surface, we know that the wider the grip on of whatever you're doing, the more rotator cuff activation, the more rotator cuff activation, guess what? That goes into our oblique slings that we've been talking about. So an egg weight's great, but that just locks into one or two fingers and then you close it over the top. That's not going to be the same effect upstream as what we're doing with a landmine press or what we're doing or a landmine punch or what we're doing with a med ball throw. If that no. makes sense. Yeah. And bouncing off you again on that. I know you don't want to spend too much time on this, but, um, I think of that exact, and the way I learned that lesson was when I was at, uh, at CU working in their way and we were doing floor press with their guys, um, trying to get a little more upper body power and we were putting fat grips on our floor press. And I was like, what in God's name, why would you do that with a floor Hell press? Yeah. Right. And so then I started talking to the Shane coaches and they ex- uh, explained this kind of principle to me and I found it out and I researched it a little bit more, but I mean, that was a smart move, right? Adding the fat grips and even better if we could get to like a neutral grip. But anyway, adding that fat grip to the press, increase the surface area, increase the rotator cuff activation and everything uh, that way. So that was a, an anecdote from my experiences. But I also think with egg weights, I think about um, bonder chucks work when we talk about special specific exercises. Um, the closer we get to competition, and he did it with shot put throws. You'd be throwing an overweight shot put. So it's a shot put that's heavier than competition, throwing your hands with an egg weight in them heavier than competition. Um, you may elicit a training effect. You will get a training effect from doing that, but how close you are to competition, it may deter from your actual technique of throwing the punch, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're throwing chronically your punches with egg weights in your hands or using 18 ounce gloves or, or whatever you want to use that might throw off your technical prowess might throw off your um polished game if you will when you're throwing that punch so something to yeah. consider when we're thinking about overweight implements and i know um overweight baseballs is a, another huge topic in the baseball world nowadays yeah no and then moving towards the rehab side of things first thing i want to say is if you don't know what a 3d strap is you need to get yourself one that's one of my favorite implements for rotational based rehab. So when I'm talking about a 3D strap, there's different knockoffs or there's, I, I, that actually might be a knockoff. That's just the one that we have that I like the most and it's the most durable. It's this long strap 
it almost kind of looks like something you would put on a like a tire like a winch on your car to try drag something which is probably where it came from and you wrap it starting in the shoulder or the hip and you can make a spiral line and then attach yourself to bands attach yourself to a tower machine to a kaiser whatever it have but it's a great way to either train rotation in a very very low impact on the joints way or train anti-rotation if you want them to maintain a certain position. I do low bear a whole bunch and then increase the weight as they go. While So it forces them to maintain the position. It forces them to train anti-rotation. So I just want to get that out of the way because I feel like those are, aren't used as much as they should. But getting to the meat and potatoes, when, when you're a rehab professional, and again, PT, AT, Cairo, MD, whatever, whatever your degree is, it doesn't fucking matter when you're a rehab professional and you don't clear somebody for a extremely, uh, for all planes of movement, you technically shouldn't send them back to play. I know a lot of return to play protocols that completely negate (laughs) rotation, right? Like when I went back to just, and we have one of the best athletic training staffs in the country at UW lacrosse. So it's not shooting on them. I know they're doing what the protocol says, but when after a knee injury and I, or a shoulder injury, and I go back into wrestling without even being cleared in rotation, like people like, Oh, the knee doesn't, the the knee only has minor rotation, but guess what? I need to, I pivot off my knee. I throw legs in, I do these different rotational based movements, and I'm not even getting checked that my knee can operate off of a pivot off of a rotational based movement. Other than just, okay, I'm going to do a little bit of a hop and plant. Yeah, man. I think about ankles in any field sport ever, right? I, I know. I don't know how many uh, rehab based protocols have a lot of rotational based protocols. Well, so that's, so that's the one that actually that funny you bring that up. Most ankle <laughs> rehab yep. protocols have a rotation based return to play protocol. Shows my rehab incompetence. Okay. I'm not a PT. <laughs> Um, but like, even like, I know Alex, you have, you have low back stuff, right? A lot of low back protocols for athletes don't take into account rotation as mind blowing as that is. And if they do, it's so low level that it's not mimicking anything that has to do with their sport. It's just a lot of their rotation is side plank stability, which isn't even rotation, but whatever that there's your, there's your frontal plane. So it's a frontal (laughs) plane plank that we need yeah. to call it. It's not a side plane. It's a frontal plane plank. Cause <laughs> why would you name something after a tertiary effect? Exactly. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Um, but so that's, that's the first step is we need to get out of just in general, but talking about rotation, we need to get out of this. Everything needs to be a protocol. And we actually need to understand the needs analysis for the sport in the first place. So if, cause if you want to work with MMA fighters, wrestlers, or jujitsu boxers, whatever combat sport you want to work with, there's a lot of rotation that plays into every single one of those. And you need to make sure that they're not going, they're not at an increased risk of re-injury when you put them back onto the mat. Easy ways that we can do that. We can add in if say I'll very common injury. One of the most common injuries is low back disc herniation, right? Ways we can bring them up to speed and we can make sure that they are cleared with rotation. We can do rotational dead bugs, right? So we have them rolling. We maintain that anti-rotation rolling back to back and forth. If they can't maintain a good position that is pain-free, guess what? They're probably not ready. And that's just straight up ipsilateral pattern. We can also add in for low back pain. Guess what? 
that's where those that rotational split squat can come in as well. Because a split squat is a very common position in any sort of grappling sport. It's going to mimic a wrestling shot. It's going to mimic um, a wrestling stance. You can do a, a closed stance, almost like a kickstand. And if you rotate over the top or think about like coming out of the hole on a sweep single, that's an easy way for you to tell if the back is resilient enough to handle the load that's going to be put upon them. So a lot of the times when I want to make sure low back pain is gone in a grappling athlete is I give them a, a just a 20, 30 pound kettlebell enough to load them, but not enough to where it's that where it's if if it does flare something up that I have to spend 20 minutes on the table after. <laughs> honestly. Um, and I have them do a rotational kickstand deadlift or a rotational split squat. And that tells me right away, can that low back with the shearing force that is applied during a, uh, during rotational base movement through the lumbar spine, is that low back resilience enough to not be sensitized or not be put through a pain cycle when they do the move? Whoa. If the answer, Oh, what's up? I was just going to say one one unique thing that I've seen exactly in this same situation, if we want to talk about eccentric loading, is uh, putting like on a versa pulley, putting in a 3D band that you're talking about, like on a versa pulley, rotating in and out of a, a, a rotational split squat or rotational kickstand deadlift like you're talking about. Dude, I want one of those so bad. <laughs> I know, right? That'd be sweet. <laughs> uh, Corey Beasley, fight camp conditioning. Hook me up, please. <laughs> he's boys with he's boys with the versa pulley guys. Um but so that's those are two very, very easily implemented. Almost every rehab place, dumbbell, kettlebell, whatever, has up to 30 pounds. Um, you can do that with a cable machine. You can do that with a red uh, half-inch band. You can do that with all these different implements and just add in the rotation on top of all of the low back return to play protocols you're already doing. Um, and then you can also, I know I, I operate a little different than most healthcare practitioners being a strength coach too, but you can also add in some med ball work on top of all of this, just light. It doesn't have to be extremely intense, but as we know, a lot of return to play uh, is very protocol. Like I told talked about before, and we, we want to break out of that to make sure that this athlete, this athlete is okay. If we're now working with say a striking sport, we got to make sure that when they increase the velocity at which they are going to be throwing something that this flare up does not occur. So if I'm working with a boxer, I want to make sure that they can throw a four pound med ball, six pound med ball, whatever it be at a okay velocity before I send them back to the boxing gym. It's another great modality in, in my opinion to work on that eccentric loading. You know, if we mm -hmm. if we focus maybe a little less on the power output coming out, we can get in a rhythm, eccentric load into that rotation back and forth. And I think that's that's where a lot of you know a, a, of those more bouncy med balls can come into play where we get into that pattern loading, unloading eccentrically, uh rotating with some rhythm to it. Uh, that's what my mind thinks of when you take to say that. No, for sure. Um, but then moving away from protocol based, uh, just like re return to play issues that I, that I think we need to kind of start looking past and trying to fix a little bit, um, is moving into exercises we can do and, and why we need to train rotation and anti-rotation, which as you guys are going to hear is, is a little bit more important on the rehab side of things. So as we know, anti-rotation is resisting rotation, anti-rotation, um, but it's extremely important for sudden movements. So sudden, when say, even if you're not working with combat sports, going to our normal people, Alex, I know, I love it. You made the statement earlier, you're going back on yourself. I don't know. I don't know why you're I talking am. to me. Because you're looking at me. Always. But, always. 
but when when we're doing anti-rotation this is what's going to be what allows us to be rigid when we take a unguarded movement this is going to be what increases our rigidity say that i step out of the car and i'm on ice and i need to stabilize myself that's where this anti-rotation comes in that's why it's so important to add in our farmers carries why it's so important to add in our payoff presses or our low bears mm-hmm. um and then that's when once we get the positional uh situations down that's when we can add in the 3d strap or any sort of like loaded like if we want to get past a band and do consistent resistance with a uh, with a tower machine or an anchor whatever it may be uh and then we can get out into loaded consistently loaded payoffs or rotational presses yeah and then going off that uh, when you're talking about instantaneous stabilization or something i think about like perturbation training or like uh common drill i think people see on on instagram is like um getting pushed off a depth drop or getting kind of move like that that's triggers that same type of reflex right exactly so it's it's that sudden unguarded movement and how are they going to stabilize which is not just important for athletes but also for people recovering from injuries because the real world isn't predictable so we need to be able to react even if we don't know what's coming but bringing it to more different anti-rotation exercises, this is where we can bring in a lot of, I do a lot of landmine work uh, from a half kneeling position, whether it be a press, whether it be a uh, row, whether it be, I actually, I even do one that I really, really like for anti-rotation is a landmine floor press. So you're up in a DNS three month or six, I do it from a six month um, and you maintain that rigidity through the trunk and then you're integrating a horizontal press with that landmine, but it's a little bit upward. So it's like a mix between a a overhead and a a horizontal press. And then that's what allows you by pushing that up, but then also the main point of the movement, making sure that nothing but the arm is moving. That forces me to focus on the anti-rotation portion, which helps integrate that pushing movement back into my system and helps integrate that trunk stability that we need so much in trunk injuries and in that anti-rotation fashion. I think, I think that hits a point that I think we might have glazed over. And when I was talking about strength and conditioning, when I was talking about strengthening through transverse plane movements, any type of unilateral loading or unilateral uh, movement has a, t- a, a component of anti-rotation to it. So if, any, if I'm just thinking about, if we're thinking about split squat, before we even add in the like trunk rotation into the split squat, maybe just hold a kettlebell on one side right? That in itself is anti-rotational type of movement or just however we, we load it on one side. Yeah, no, dude, I would argue from a rehab perspective, I would argue that a suitcase carry is more important than a farmer's carry. So one-handed carry versus a two-handed carry, because it forces you to use the trunk and stay in that locked in position a little bit. It forces you to anti-rotate, anti-frontal plane. It forces you to resist every single other plane of movement. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, but then moving into rotation-based exercises we can do, because I promise you, you shouldn't be doing the Russian twists that I see, um, <laughs> is that's where we can, like I said, we can add in our med ball training where we're doing a med ball passes, overhead med ball throws. We can do off of a half kneeling. Because as we know from a, if we look at like, I I like that four by four matrix that SFMA has where it goes from laying down unloaded all the way up to loaded and basically free moving. We can do a half kneeling position and use a lighter weight. And we know that from there's the difference between rehab and training is 
just the context in which you're doing it. And if pain is there or not there, we can do these ha- a half kneeling position, work on rotation of say a knee, hip, ankle, or low back injury, load that leg, and then push off into a rotational plane just with less force. And that turns from performance to rehab real quick. Same can be, thing can be said. I actually use those, uh, the rotational or transverse plane kettlebell swings in rehab a lot because it forces you to learn how to hit that double pulse of the, all right, as I create force, boom, I need to push power out and I need to brace my trunk. And then at the top of the movement, I also need to brace my trunk to start that pendulum swing back, if that makes sense. So back and forth, back and forth. That's a great way to integrate like in the late stages of my rehab, integrate back in loaded rotational based movements. But I feel like a lot of healthcare providers, myself included at the beginning, are so afraid of sheer force on the spine that they stay away from rotation and that you're doing your patients, just everybody in general, not just the people we're talking about on building a fighter, you're doing them a disservice if you don't reintegrate rotation. I absolutely agree. Um, But when I was, what I was just thinking about when you're describing all of that, I think one of the reasons that I don't know. I, from my opinion, we, we both seem kind of invested in the transverse plane, invested in this movement. We're excited. We keep listing off different exercises. It's like, that's when you can get creative and that's when you can have fun in training. And like the moment, I guess that I started reintroducing like a, a three dimensional training emphasis into my program was the, the day I get to have fun and I get to, you know, actually move like an athlete and, and feel fluid in my movement and then um, be more creative in general. I think that's something that um, is overlooked when we talk about rehab or the weight room is, is how to create, um, just a, a more creative atmosphere, a a more fun, um, approach. Well, dude, and and I feel the same way, but isn't it crazy that rotation is thought of as almost like gamification to some people? Yeah. Right. (laughs) But the moment you do a rotational lunge, it's like, what is that functional fitness? Yeah. And when in reality, that's just, like, like we talked about at the way beginning of this, like, that's just how the body moves just rotation. Pattern, yeah. yeah. Rotation is in every movement that you do, whether it's the main part or it's a tertiary response, there's always going to be rotation in what you're doing. Yeah, man. And I, I made a post about this, I think way back in like 2016, 17, before I even liked Instagram, still don't really like Instagram, but like, I, and I was, I was so deep in this transverse plane, this rotational movement and torque and thinking of the body's quote unquote, like levers, like even when you're moving things in a sagittal plane, if I were thinking about a back squat or, or a power clean or something, your body is creating rotational torque and tension yep. to allow you to move in that straight line. Like anything that you do at all, has a torque component because that's, that's how your muscles move. move. They're, they're free flowing. They're not these straight line sarcomeres that everybody likes to teach and look at at a textbook. You know, your muscles work through a, a combination of torque and tension. It's not just creating force. It's actually creating torque a lot of the times. Yeah, no. And, and it's, it's just one of those things that we, again, you look at you, if you look at the body as a whole, it doesn't make sense. Like what Alex was saying, it's, it's not a fucking straight line of a sarcomere. You have to look at the entire body and what the pattern of the entire body is doing. But, and then the last thing I want to talk about is for, for the clinicians out there is just not just rehab, but treatment 
of what's going on. So I feel like I almost just because I'm so active care focused and all of our other podcasts, I feel like I <laughs> almost neglect the passive modalities because because we know that active care makes the longest changes. But passive care, I fucking love adjusting. Passive care is great. I'm a big fan of passive care as long as you know when to use it. So, or you know that it's not the end all be all. It's just another tool in the toolbox. So that's something just start moving forward. When I talk about treatment, I also want to talk about actual treatment, what I'm doing with my hands, what I'm doing with needles, what I'm doing with these different things. So if somebody comes in with a, again, just low back, we'll say low back complaint, a typical visit of what I like to do is um, I will check out, obviously I go through my whole assessment. I'm going to check them in rotation as well as all of the other planes of movement, do all my assessments, do all that fun stuff. But I always start the rehab process or the recovery process with some passive care, whether that be pin and stretch of the lumbar spine, whether that be for me, I, I do a lot of needling. So I go after the multifidi because we know at the deepest level, that's going to be, if, if I have a fatty deposit on my multifidi, I don't tra- I don't understand my brain to joint connection is not there for the lumbar spine rotation. That's what we know from the most current research. If we have inactive or fatty deposit-based multifidi, then I'm not able to perceive or to propriocept rotation or any other movement as well in the lumbar spine. So I immediately, if I, if I have anything more than like straight up acute low back pain, uh, I throw two needles in multifidi at above or at the, that segment and then above or below based off tenderness as well as into the glutes, because once we get them moving, for the most part, I want to start loading a unilateral glute pattern as well, which is rotation in in nature. Um, Just because we're not rotating through doesn't mean that, like Alex said, that we're not training rotation. And then from there, I'm also going to assess the joint. So I'm going to check out does the joint rotate joint by joint segmentally into rotation? So that's where it brings in my palpation skills. That's where it brings in, do I want to adjust or do I not want to adjust? Do I want to mobilize versus adjust? And that's going to be dependent on how the patient feels. And from there, I can be like, all right, I'm going to hammer this low back, pop, 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 light them up. Or maybe I need to do a grade two mobilization, a grade three mobilization, because sometimes those are warranted. Just because you can do a whole bunch of force into rotation doesn't mean you should on a day two of a low back pain patient. That doesn't make a whole bunch of sense. So I guess the moral of where I want to go with the manual therapy part of this and the adjustment part in particular is if you have a rotational based complaint, make sure that you're using your force progression wisely because you don't need to go all the way up to force progression five when at the end of the day, you probably should have started at force progression three, and that would have benefited the patient, the patient and would have had a greater impact. Just like a guy, a guy in my office, Frank Tardy, awesome physical therapist. He says this about rehab. What if I curl five pounds and you curl 35 pounds, my five pounds is heavier than your 35 pounds. Cause I'm doing it right. If I do a grade three mobilization and you do a great and you manipulate with grade five, my grade three is going to have a greater impact because I'm doing it right. It's it's the right circumstance for what's going on. You're just trying to blow up a joint. And you need to know that and you need to understand the tissue tolerance and understand the barriers that you're feeling. So not to go on too much of a tangent, but I just feel like I overlook passive care too much and, and it should be talked about. I mean, yeah, I got my multifidus uh, needled once. Yeah, you did. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I, I like all the things that you're saying there. And I think that's important to have that context, the contextual awareness um, into what you're doing with your past, uh, passive care. So, but it doesn't really matter what I think, I guess. It's true. It's very true. Mm-hmm. It's all about me. It's my world, Alex. You know this. Well, I guess I guess we'll all have to bear with Austin and let him <laughs> let him believe his own fantasy. But uh, but no, I think we've hit rotational training from every and any angle um, that can be thought up. But I'm sure there's there's people that know more about it than us. And I, again, I'm excited to keep learning about this type of of training and getting into. Um, what I would define as like fluid strength or just a, a type of movement that is athletic, but also strength training. That's not, um, not your, your bench press back squat and, and uh deadlift. Yeah. So like we always say, please like share, subscribe, give us a rating if you so choose. Um, but the more you share and do all those fun stuff, the more we people we get to talk to and the more we get to spread our message to. Um, if you guys have any questions at all, all of our contact info is going to be in the show notes. We're also going to drop it here because it'll be around the time. We have a website. Finally got the domain name. Fucker that had it. Finally let go of it. So we got it. Um, and we'll be making a website along with we're going to be finally being able to get some different programs out there to help you guys and diff- different free resources as well that are in writing that can help you guys in day-to-day practice. So be on the lookout for that. And as well as if you got any questions, always send them our way if you have, if you have anything, but this is Dr. Austin Shane, Alex Friedman, and we are out. Mm-hmm.